Okay, why don't we get started? Um, I'm Alex Wendt of the Mershon Center, um, and I'm very pleased to introduce Alicia Fizuliev, um, who is this year a Fulbright visiting scholar at the Fletcher School at Tufts and then also at Georgetown, half for each year, part of the year. In real life, Alicia is, uh, has had a distinguished career, double career, as a diplomat and as an academic. As a diplomat, he was high up in the Uzbek service. Um, having served as ambassador to the UK in the early 2000s, head of various missions to NATO and the EU and that kind of thing. And then as an academic, uh, he received his PhD in psychology from the Academy of Sciences of the former Soviet Union and has published several scholarly works uh, in Russian and Uzbek on diplomacy and IR. And also published a couple articles in English that I have right here, Individual Experiencing of States and Diplomacy and Self, which came out in Review of International Studies and Diplomacy and Statecraft a few years ago. Um, and it's actually through those two articles that I got to know Alicia. Um, I'll just tell you how he came to be here. Um, I'm sure like many of my colleagues at Mershon, I get a lot of random emails from strangers around the world, um, just every week or so. Most of this email is not particularly welcome. Um, <laughs> and the exchanges that result are very asymmetric. Basically, people wanting advice, want me to read a manuscript, that kind of thing, and so I do what I can, and then the exchanges end. And my first introduction to Alicia was one of those emails back in 2005, asking if I would read a paper. Um, and when I got his note, it mentioned that he had been ambassador to the UK, and I thought, wow, that's cool. This is the most powerful person I've ever met. <laughs> but it was the paper that he had sent me that, was, that really piqued my interest. It was a very theoretical, almost philosophical reflection on the relationship between individuals and the state, focusing on diplomats in particular. Um, it wasn't a typical IR paper. I wasn't even quite sure how to relate it to the literature that I knew. Um, but I did know the paper was very creative and very interesting. And I've been thinking about these ideas ever since. And it led to an intermittent email correspondence over the past seven years. I read a draft of a second paper as well. And overall, a much more balanced kind of email interaction with a total stranger than I usually have in these situations. So I finally got to meet Alicia for the first time an hour ago. Um, I'm looking forward to talking with him over dinner um, or informally. But first, we're going to hear his talk, which is called Making States Sensible, Ritual, Symbols, and Feeling in Diplomatic Practice. So with that, I'll turn the floor over to Alicia, and please join me in welcoming him to our little corner. Thank you very much. It's a real great honor for me uh, and great pleasure to be here. Uh, thank you so much, Professor Jenkins, for invitation. And thank you so much, Alex, for your nice invitation, kind invitation. You know, Alex Wundt is a scholar who made real, very big impact on my thinking, on my development as a scholar. And I was uh, very happy to have such a cooperation with him. And uh, it's a real, real something very, very significant for me. Thank you so much for your, all your cooperation. You know, uh, I was flying uh, today early, a couple hours ago, from Washington, D.C. to uh, Columbus, and I, I was quite lucky that my flight was delayed. So for 40 minutes or one hour, which was uh, quite a very, gave me a very nice experience. I saw, you know, uh, a few so-called honor flights arrived in uh, airport. And there, are, there were a lot of uh, 
Second World War veterans. And there were a lot of very lively, very moving ceremony welcoming of these uh, veterans. You know, it was uh, very moving. I was very impressed by the whole uh, songs, uh, flags, all kinds of uh, welcoming and uh, emotions. It was very, very moving uh, ceremonial ceremony. And you know, uh, at airport, I, I, I got in a sense that uh, well, it's very much connected to the subject uh, I'm going to speak at the Mershon Center, because I'm going to speak on also on different kinds of ceremonies, uh, rituals, symbols, and they. Uh, place and their role in international affairs, in diplomacy. And uh, this reminded me that how powerful are these kinds of things, uh, rituals, ceremonies. And I saw today earlier and what was, as I mentioned, it was very, very moving. So let me give you a little bit, a uh, little uh, presentation roadmap. I'm going to speak about uh, 30 to 40 minutes and then would be very happy to answer to questions and would be very happy to have some discussions around. First, uh, I will speak some more general, uh, I will speak on more general issues like the whole symbolism, uh, ceremonies uh, and uh, rituals in diplomacy. Then we'll turn to the subject of the formats, the types, and their functions in uh, diplomatic practice. And finally, about feelings and uh, the whole management of interstate affairs through these kinds of symbolism, through these kinds of ritual ceremonies, and the strengths and also weaknesses, the down uh, ter terms and the uh, upsides and downsides, all those things. All right. So let me give uh, first uh, some small introduction to some terminology. There are some discussions now about the whole essence of diplomacy. What is diplomacy? Uh, how much uh, diplomacy is related to the state? Or is it uh, also some sort of activity which uh, is related not just state actors, but also non-state actors? Uh, I think, uh, in my perspective, uh, states are still very important and very key and principal actors in diplomacy. Of course, now we could see a lot of other non-state actors uh, which are playing a huge role in interstate relations, the whole international relations, or, you know, maybe you've heard the term uh, uh, track two diplomacy. Or there are some new kinds of emerging entities like let's say, uh, friends of uh, Syria, these kinds of more kinds of uh, conglomerates. It's not just states, but it's a sort of combination of states and non-state actors. But nevertheless, uh, diplomacy, when I will speak about diplomacy, I would mainly speak about state diplomacy, state-related diplomacy. And of course, states themselves cannot do diplomacy. So state A and state B never could speak to each other without speaking through some agencies and through uh, some agents. So in fact, uh, diplomacy is a practice of diplomatic agencies and diplomatic agents, like minister, foreign, foreign ministries, uh, delegations, uh, individual diplomats, politicians, etc., etc. A second very important term in this context is uh, symbolism. So when I'm speaking about symbolism, I mean 
practice uh, use of uh, symbols, uh, symbolic actions and interactions like uh, rituals and ceremonies. So symbolism and its role in diplomacy. As uh, Alex mentioned, I spent some time myself, I, I have an academic background, but uh, when we got independence, I was asked like some other academics, uh, professionals to join and to serve the country because we had a very few diplomats. And I spent about 10 years in diplomacy myself. And you know, uh, I was a part of all this uh, symbolism. Symbolism is a huge part of uh, diplomacy. But you know, to be honest, I never thought, I never reflected on importance or a place of symbolism in diplomacy myself. And uh, just recently I spoke to one practicing diplomat and we've been discussing these uh, kinds of these uh, subjects. And he, he said to me the same thing, you know, I'm inside of all this sim symbolism, sim symbolic world, but I never thought about that. I never, I am never reflecting on this. And it's a very interesting phenomenon, it seems to me, because when we are uh, studying symbolism, you could find a huge literature on symbolism as a whole, or symbolism related to culture, or symbolism related to anthropology, etc., etc., or quite a large number of literature related to state symbolism, or symbolism in international relations as a whole, or international politics somehow. But very few literature related to uh, symbolism in diplomatic practice. And it's very interesting for me, it's quite intriguing, because on the one hand, it's a, such a huge part of diplomatic practice. But on the other hand, uh, people, like as I said myself, I never much thought about that, or some others. And perhaps it's uh, partly because uh, it's very difficult to distinguish the whole diplomatic practice from this symbolic aspect of this part because it's a, it's a some sort of very much uh, united thing and uh, it's like we we breathe when we breathe we very perhaps not very much time thinking about breathing importance of this but we are doing this it's a, such a, a very important thing for our life so it's a quite a similar stuff uh, though it's a very very important and uh, uh, we might say that uh, in diplomatic practice there is a very, very extensive and I would say even excessive use of symbolism. Symbolism, uh, image symbolism, other type of symbolism and also rituals, ceremonies, all kinds of uh, practical symbolic activities, symbolic action and interactions. And uh, diplomacy as a whole, it's a part of whole symbolic construction of the whole international system, international relations, international politics as a whole. And uh, by the way, at the same time, we have to think about also domestic conception of diplomatic symbolism. On the one hand, it's uh, designed to international audience, international, in international context it's happening. But at the same time, it's uh, very difficult to distinguish this is international context or international related part of symbolism. This is domestic. It's very much mixed. So sometimes when uh, statesmen, diplomats are doing or involved in these kinds of symbolic interactions, sometimes it's mostly for domestic inter uh, conception, sometimes for international, but it's very hard to uh, distinguish sharply. This is domestic, this is international. And the other questions uh, you might ask or we may think about 
the, the rea reality and symbolism in diplomacy, in diplomatic world as a whole, and in diplomatic practice. practice. You know, on the one hand, because of uh, the huge presence of symbolism, it's very much part of uh, diplomatic life. So, you know, uh, when you speak with diplomats or you're observing diplomatic practice, they're always feeling, always thinking about all kinds of small little symbolism. For example, if you would have here diplomatic reception, perhaps host party will think, well, who is here? What, uh, what kinds of guests? Who is uh, from government? Etc. Etc. When we where we are having our function, uh, venue, etc. Etc. Little little symbolism. All these things are very important because they are making some sense. They are, they are giving some kinds of uh, information about diplomatic and the whole international reality. So my point is uh, when all these kinds of symbolism become so important, it becomes part of reality and uh, also it, it itself becomes a reality. So on the one hand, uh, all these kinds of symbols are informing about something behind this, but on the other hand, it's a part of the whole reality. It's a, it's, it's a reality of diplomatic life. So, and uh, why is so? Why uh, diplomacy so heavily rely on symbolism? Of course, uh, you could find symbolism everywhere. So symbolism in university campus, symbolism in t-shirts, etc., etc. But uh, uh, diplomatic practice, diplomatic world is a very special case. It's a hugely impacted on, uh, it's hugely, it's, uh, symbolism is very, very hugely presented. I guess, I think uh, there are two major reasons for that. Number one, it's the uh, nature of state itself. Number two, number two, second is essence or nature of diplomatic represent, representation. What is a state? You know, I, uh, I myself, I never seen any state. Maybe some of you seen or feel or smell, but the state is a very abstract concept. And as Alex, uh, he wrote in his book, um, we, we, couldn't, we can't see the state. The state is not presented in our senses. So it's a very abstract concept. So we need to, to have some kinds of instrument for objectivation of state. And symbols and symbolism is a kind of instrument which gives, of, gives us uh, some objectify, objectified uh, presentation of state through symbols. So we could experience states through symbols. We could see the states through symbols. We could feel the states through symbols. So it's a part of our uh, experiencing the state. So when we see states or feel state, experience states through symbols, we could make a sense of states and uh, we could uh, understand state as an um, uh, um, entity, as a unitary actor, as an entity which has a, uh, aims, motivation, goals, etc., etc. And second part is related to diplomatic representation. Diplomatic representation, let's say uh, organizational representation, which is, for example, embassies, or Minister of Foreign Affairs, or individual representations, like diplo individual diplomats, they are symbols themselves. 
So the main function, one of the main functions of this representation are symbolic representation. So when this, you speak to the official representative of speak, a state, you, you have to think, uh, you, you, you are, usually you, you, you are thinking that uh, is this, you understand that this is a symbol of the state. So here we, we see sort of double symbolism. That's why in, uh, in diplomacy, uh, so double symbolism, I mean related to the state itself. State itself is, itself is a symbol. So diplomats are symbols. So it's a sort of double symbolism. And of course, uh, some of you might ask, well, okay, I understand maybe sometime in the past, uh, states or kings or emperors, they've been so he heavily involved to symbolism. So the all kinds of uh, ceremonial diplomacy. But now we have a lot of new stuff like internet, social media, all kinds of electronic diplomacy, digital diplomacy, uh, Facebook diplomacy, etc., etc. And perhaps uh, we don't have so much symbolism in, in uh, these kinds of um, environment because all these things of social media now are part of diplomatic practice. Perhaps uh, you already uh, noticed that uh, embassies or Minister of Foreign Affairs, they very much use in their websites or in their um, Facebook sites or Twitter accounts a lot of symbolism also. So uh, the thing is, on the one hand, of course, these uh, new media, new uh, internet, uh, social media made uh, diplo diplomatic interaction, diplomatic practice, much more democratical practice. Now ambassadors or diplomats could uh, speak to each other or to wider community through all these kinds of social media. Most ambassadors now, at least for, in several countries, for, for example, American, many American ambassadors, they have their own Twitter accounts. So they are speaking to a lot of people through this. Of course, this is much more democratical practice of diplomacy. But at the same time, I think uh, the whole this new media, social media, and especially public uh, diplomacy, uh, they have raised uh, symbolism to the new level. Previously, in the past, just few people could observe such a symbolism, uh, all these kinds of uh, uh, ritual practice, symbolic practice, ceremonial practice, but now millions of people are observing all these things. They're witnessing. Just recently, you may remember, a few weeks ago, uh, I guess, uh, British Prime Minister was here with an official visit. And of course, uh, everybody saw a lot of uh, ceremonial things related to welcoming to British Prime Minister, special relations, state dinner, a lot of speeches, all these kinds of stuff. So, uh, in fact, on the one hand, there is a much more democratical uh, means of interaction, but on the other hand, we could see much more, even, even more presence of symbolism in everyday life, and uh, it's affecting not just few diplomats, but everybody. So uh, just uh, let, let me give you a few examples of uh, symbolism in diplomatic practice, in some, some, something related diplomacy. For example, membership in international organi organization. So are you a member of NATO? Are you a member of European Union? Or are you a member of somewhere else? Uh, 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 is there any symbolism here? Yes, of course. Uh, setting up an embassy. So uh, 
Is it, uh, does it have any symbolism? Yes, of course. Location and building of the embassy. Could you imagine, for example, somewhere in some country, American embassy, very small, very invisible, in some remote area, not a prestigious part of the state. Could you imagine these kinds of things? Of course, it's very difficult to imagine because America as a great country, perhaps it uh, needs to have some kinds of relevant symbols. And the embassy, usually American embassies are huge embassies in a very prestigious part of the city, etc., etc. So uh, sending an envoy or recalling the ambassador, perhaps this is a, one of the very interesting uh, examples of uh, symbolism, of uh, diplo diplomatic symbolism. Some, sometimes, of course, the diplomats, ambassadors do very important jobs, but sometimes not very much. So they, are, they are sitting there, doing something, but when they, they are uh, recalled, it makes uh, headlines sometimes. Well, ambassador was recalled. So it's a huge uh, stuff. Uh, it doesn't matter how he, he was so important in that place, but recalling is uh, so much important because it is a sort of such a, such a uh, powerful symbolism. So all these things are headlines and a lot of talks around this. And other stuff also related to symbolism, like venue of conference and, uh, you know, uh, famous like cit cities like Geneva, Vienna, they are very famous with as a location, conference diplomacy, because they are very prestigious places. So it's a part also part of all this choosing, uh, venue choosing diplomacy, a handshake, etc., etc. Dress also. And of course, uh, state-related symbolism. State symbolism is a central part of the whole diplomatic symbolism. And uh, there, is a there are some official symbols and unofficial symbols, or unofficial symbols of states. Official symbols, of course, this is a most of all, first of all, it's a uh, flag, flag, national flag, and uh, other things, uh, anthem, etc., uh, etc. Et but there are a lot of unofficial symbols, and perhaps uh, you may re remember, you may imagine, or you've got your yourself some, somehow this experience. Sometimes people who live abroad, uh, they see or they feel some part of the native country, and this part or this image becomes a huge uh, kind of uh, uh, acquires some symbolism, symbolic meaning for this person. It represents the whole country, a whole in political context, a whole uh, a whole uh, state. So there are a lot of other things here. You see, uh, famous one of the American uh, symbols, the freedom bell and uh, Japanese uh, or uh, Indian bird, official bird, official flower, etc. So uh, state, not just state, but international organizations they also become uh, symbols, symbols themselves. UN, for example, UN is a symbol, symbol of international cooperation, symbol of global international community or uh, other international organizations like NATO or other European Union, WTO, etc., etc. And of course, sometimes they also do a very important job, but sometimes their job mostly are symbolic. So sometimes they are not very effective, but uh, they are also very important even symbolically. So even if you would have a choice so to have UN, not very 
efficient, but UN as an organization, which is quite unique, uh, global organization, is it all right? Yes, most people would say perhaps yes, all right, because even as a symbol, it makes a difference. It, uh, it has a huge role. Of course, everybody wants uh, UN or some other international organization to be efficient, but nevertheless, uh, they are working also as a symbol. And uh, when we are speaking, uh, we are discovering, we are studying symbol. Of course, the main thing related to symbol is meaning. Because symbol, uh, it delivers some meaning. Symbol uh, has contained some meaning. Meaning is a central part of any kinds of symbolism. And uh, in international context, in diplomatic context, in diplomatic practice, uh, symbolism and meaning is always uh, very much uh, ambiguous. So we have always very ambiguous sim symbolism, uh, multiplicity of symbolism. That's why, uh, in, a, in a way, diplomacy is a, a sort of art of meaning. So one state puts some uh, symbolic meaning to some action or word or statement. The other state so, uh, has some sort of output from that and a sort of understanding what does it mean. That's why always in diplomatic practice on, or international relation as a whole, this is interpretive element is always presented. Because uh, uh, there is, as I said, meanings are always very uh, ambiguous. So this is perhaps related to extreme complexity of international politics, international relations. There are so many stakeholders, there are so many subjects, there are so many observers, actors, and each needs some sort of their own meaning, so uh, multiplicity of meaning. And also, the, because of the huge self of these um, subjects, of states, uh, actors are very careful, they have to be very uh, delicate with dealing, that's why there are so many uh, different kinds of might, uh, might be interpretation. Still, you know, when we are talking about some historical diplomatic events, so, or some political events, like country A attacked country B. So why that happened? So there is always, there is no any single explanation, even in very simple, quite simple, in quite simple cases also. There are always some kinds of, so, Perhaps this was, perhaps this was because of also, uh, partly because of the symbolism, multiplicity of symbolism. And uh, I think uh, we could speak about some major formats of symbolism in diplomacy. First of all, this is related to language symbolism. Second is image symbolism. Third is ritual and ceremonial symbolism, or mixed kinds of symbolism. Uh, all this uh, symbolism, all these formats or forms or types of symbolism are presented. Language symbolism. Uh, there is an expression, uh, diplomatic language. There are quite a few literature uh, related to this language symbolism, studies of language symbolism in diplomacy. This is very super or hyper symbolic language. So what to say, how to say, how to start, how to finish, what kinds of phrases use or not to use, a lot of ritualistic phrases at the beginning of a diplomatic note, at the end of note, or conferences. You know, first time when I attended 
quite a large uh, UN conference uh, many years ago. It was in Geneva. I was quite surprised to see, you know, a lot of delegations spoke. And I, I don't remember exactly, but perhaps uh, they, uh, each delegates could spe uh, speak about five minutes. And at least two minutes they devoted to some greetings. So they greeted the chairman, then they said uh, thank you, thank, they expressed some uh, thank for previous chairman for a nice job, and they uh, wished uh, some best wishes for this new chairman, all the things, and uh, finally a few words related to the topic of the conference. I was quite surprised myself, why? Why they are losing so much time with all this uh, uh, linguistic ritualism? And uh, it was a reception in the, e in the evening, and I spoke uh, to one high-level UN uh, official, and I, I asked, you know, uh, it was my first experience, and I asked him, uh, why is this happening? Why is these guys so much time? This said, the next one said the same, next one said the same. Why are they spending so much time on all these kinds of uh, ritualistic practice? Uh, and he said, I remember this, uh, his uh, reply to me. He said, you know, Mr. Fazulayev, this is a part of the whole diplomatic culture. You know, we here we are dealing interstate, uh, with interstate relations. And it's, it creates some kind of environment, uh, respect to the state. This is a whole diplomatic environment. So uh, I guess perhaps he is right, uh, or partly right. This is a kind of the whole environment diplomatic, and it's a tradition already. So in order to, to keep this whole, these kinds of nice uh, stuff, uh, a lot of people are using this as a part of practice. So. Uh, regarding diplomatic language, uh, there are a lot of uh, sides of this diplomatic language. Of course, uh, perhaps a uh, very central, side, uh, central point of this uh, diplomatic language is constructive ambiguity. So, uh, concealed meaning, so understatement. And somehow, some people who are ob observing, hearing this language, they may think, well, what are they, they are speaking about what? What's the subject? What's the point? So uh, maybe they might see that they, there is no very concrete subject of, this, of discussion. But in fact, diplomats are very well understand each other. They're very exact with their wordings, with their uh, sending, uh, putting in input uh, with meaning and output of meaning. So they have a sense of uh, all these kinds of or, uh, diplomatic language symbolism. So it's a, in fact, it's a very professional language. And of course, body language is very important. Also, a lot of symbolism related to body language. And perhaps you, you, you may remember your, your, from your own observation, body language, it's not just language of uh, politicians. It's also part of body language of diplomacy. Uh, also, body language of diplomacy is military exercises, uh, showing uh, display of military forces, or parade, all the things, signaling. So we, we are presenting some symbols of our might, and you have to make some sense of that. Or just to, to speak about body language of politicians, this is a very favorite subject of uh, journalist uh, inquiries. So this guy, this politician, and this, well, how do, do, did they greet each other. 
what was kinds of what was handshake. So all the things uh, make sense, and they uh, they 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 try to find what is behind of this. What does it mean? So in its political meaning of that or not? Figures of of speeches, of course. First of all, metaphors. This is uh, also part of a whole international discourse or international political discourse. But in fact, it is mostly related to discourse uh, um, addressed to general public. You, you may remember such uh, metaphors like evil empire, or access of evil, all these kinds. It's not a very much part of professional language, professional diplomatic language uh, diplomats speak to each other, but it's mostly related to the general public. But it gives some kinds of uh, imagery, understanding of uh, the political point. And uh, narratives and mythology, also when you, 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 you use allegories or metaphors or other kinds of figure of speeches, it's very easy to bring mythological elements to the whole uh, narratives, to whole diplomatic discourse, and it happens. It's very dis difficult to distinguish uh, these kinds of narratives from very professional terminology in diplomacy. And uh, for, uh, second uh, format, as I mentioned, image symbolism. Of course, images are very, very important and very powerful. And perhaps, uh, perhaps uh, among all images, there are many other types of images, not just visual images, but visual images are the most important, most powerful images. And by the way, I just uh, yesterday and before, a uh, few days ago, I did some search on different kinds of embassies, websites, and uh, websites of Minister of Foreign Affairs, and uh, Facebooks of embassies, etc., etc., just to, to, to see what kinds of images do they use. And I found some websites are very, they're using very formal images, just very formal, some official images. But some websites are using so variety of images, and it's uh, wonderful to see how they could put uh, all these uh, different kinds of um, images to this whole diplomatic context. And it works. It's a very powerful instrument of making the point, uh, affecting the other sides, uh, influencing uh, other sides, uh, part of public diplomacy. And of course, uh, public, uh, part of diplomatic practice is using uh, kinesthetic images, or smell, olfactory images, or uh, gustatory images, tastes, or uh, some other images, you know, cuisine diplomacy, or rituals of eating together. It was a very important part of ritualism from the beginning of the times. So, and uh, all these things are also part of diplomatic intercourse, diplomatic relations, and making sense and feeling the state, entering into relationship, etc., etc. And media, public diplomacy, are using all these kinds of images very, very, very much uh, in very large extent. And of course, uh, propaganda and enemy images, very old st stuff, but now uh, it uh, also has a, some very modern features. If you look at some propaganda images, let's say um, Second World, 
war propaganda images anti Hitler or Hitler propaganda images and modern propaganda images or public diplomacy images. So it's a quite a huge difference because now uh, you could use uh, this uh, a lot of technique related to uh, power uh, making images. So a lot of programs which uh, uh, gives you huge power of uh, changing images. So uh, it's a it's a it's becoming more more and more advanced and very technologically developed field of making image, image making diplomacy. And uh, there are some other images also uh, quite often we could see this is state personification related images, motherland images uh, or fatherland images. This is also very moving images. They have a very emotional impact on people who are observing them. And the ritual and ceremonies. Uh, just a few uh, practice of ritual, uh, ritualistic and symbolic uh, ceremonial practices, like flag display, all the things, uh, other things. You know, uh, rituals have been a very essential part of diplomatic practice from the beginning. When old kings they entered into some relations with the envoys, foreign envoys. They needed some kinds of instrument to have some communication. So ritualistic practice was very much part of the diplomatic uh, history. So, and uh, for example, one of the very old, very traditional rituals of diplomacy and still very important part, this is a so-called um, solemn entry. So this is a very important part. When thousand years ago, King was receiving uh, envoy, foreign envoy, he had to have some kinds of solemn entry. Or two kings, when, when they were uh, entering into some kinds of diplomatic discourse, it was also a very important part. So still, when you are presenting credentials or you are greeting uh, some foreign envoys, etc., etc. And you know, it's a, uh, I was thinking, why is so, it was so important and st it's, still, it's still so important, these kinds of uh, ceremonial, ritualistic practice? Because perhaps, again, it's related to the self of state. We have, a, now we are dealing with these two or more huge selves, states with uh, the big egos or big selves are entering into some kinds of uh, relations, they need to have kind of some kinds of new setting up of a whole environment. And you know, in a way, it's a, it's a, it reminds me some initiation ceremony. You know, in many traditional cultures, uh, you know, there is an initiation ceremony. The boy has to have, uh, go through initiation to become a man. So, Without that, uh, you are not you wouldn't be recognized as a man. Sort of things. Um, uh, somehow, for example, even now in some countries, if you would not present officially in ceremonial practice your credentials to the head of state, to king, 
you would not be recognized as an official representative of the state. So it's a quite an interesting thing because on the one hand, it's a lot of very expensive business. So you, you, should, you, you couldn't do your functions with, uh, properly without this kinds of recognition, official your status, but you wouldn't be recognized if you would not present your credentials officially. So it's a sort of, it requires solemn entry, all these kinds of uh, symbolism. Well, it's, again, it's a part of the whole diplomatic culture. So just a few uh, pictures, uh, maybe they will give you some sense related to all these kinds of solemn entry and uh, present, uh, presenting credentials, etc., etc. I had a, a video, but uh, it seems to me it doesn't work. It's a very interesting, maybe you've seen ceremony, flag ceremony on Indian-Pakistan border. So it's uh, also a very moving, very interesting ceremony. So, and uh, now about a few words about functions. So there are several important major functions of diplomatic symbolism in uh, diplomatic practice. First, it's a communicative function. S second, it's a normative function. Third, it's an affective function or mixed function altogether. Communicative, communicative function, of course, states or state actors or diplomatic uh, agencies, agents are communicating with each other through this uh, symbolism, through this uh, practice, through this uh, entering into interaction. So uh, ritualistic or ceremonial interaction. So uh, symbols could unite or symbols could divide uh, sites, states, and uh, it creates some, some kinds of ties between them. Next, uh, normative function. You know, when uh, this is a four types of normative function, identity uh, relations, power relations, value relations, and social relations. Because when, uh, when you, you are developing your own identity, it's not just uh, you're developing your identity just yourself. It's always identity or power or values, all the things are developed in interaction with somebody. It's also always part of interaction, function of interaction. That's why when states are interacting with each other, they are developing some, somehow uh, their identities. They are developing power relationship between them, values, they are creating some values, they are defending some values or they are, uh, they are developing some kinds of social relationship or interpersonal relationship. Some uh, samples or some examples of a symbolic setup of um, identity relationship. This is also, we could describe this um, in the context of identity politics. So uh, face is very important, face saving in diplomacy, very important in diplomatic interactions, negotiations, etc., etc. And a lot of things are also related to symbolism. Through symbolism, we are constructing our identities or we are recognizing their identities. And these are part of this construction of identities like national flags, plants, animals, uh, industrial products, etc., etc., etc. All these things could be part of this constructions of identity in interstate relations. 
or power relations, like symbolic construction of power relations. Uh, perhaps you may remember uh, Morgenthau wrote about uh, power prestige policy. So this is a policy related to showing, demonstrating your power of uh, might of the states and impacting the other side through this. This is uh, somehow this is uh, related to this uh, kinds of uh, phenomenon, assertion of your status, establishment of authority, influencing the other side through again symbolism, through again entering into ki uh, into some kinds of symbolic interactions. And there are a lot of examples of that. For example, are you a member of, let's say, UN Security Council? If yes, you have some kinds of status. You have some, some kinds of power to affect the other side, to influence. Are you a member of NATO? Are you a member of G8? Or et cetera, et cetera. Or do, do you have a nuclear weapon? Or moral authority? Or cultural kinds of uh, attractiveness? All these things are part of interstate uh, diplomatical power, setup of power relationship, status relationship. Uh, do we welcome this guest, head of the state, with so-called red carpet treatment or not? This is also shows uh, relations, uh, power kinds of power or status relationship between states. Just uh, to see a few pictures, for example, this was taken um, when EU was giving some um, <coughs> financial support to Greece, Greece Prime Minister and uh, German Prime Minister, uh, Chancellor. So even in body language, we're trying to find and we are uh, calculating some kinds of relations between them. Who is the more powerful person here? So who is uh, having more kinds of more status position here? Who is giving? Who is taking? Mm -hmm. Yes, it's uh, quite clear. So other uh, with some delegations for uh, uh, who has a more power here? Even these kinds of body language we see uh, we we could. Uh, uh, catch some kinds of it's a status or power relationship between countries through the behavior of their representatives. Value relations. Of course, uh, there are a lot of nice values which uh, are part of international relations as a whole or international politics. And for some countries like United States, in their foreign policy, there's va some values like human rights, uh, freedom, etc., etc., very, very much part of the whole foreign policy and international politics. And uh, there are some uh, value-related symbols, visual symbols, of course, but uh, perhaps uh, I couldn't find uh, many of them. There are some, but not as many as you could find uh, with, let's say, power kinds of relationship or identity relationship. There are much more these kinds of concrete symbols related to these kinds of phenomena. And of course, uh, value politics and real politics are not always, uh, they do not always correspond. So sometimes value might be, let's say, A, but real behavior might be not for always A, but can be B. And uh, social relationship or interpersonal relationship. When we perceive state as an individual or as a person, with somehow self, some um, 
their own behavior, their own vision, their own interest, their own uh, agenda, etc., etc. When we see international relations, er, uh, interstate relations between uh, different uh, states, we could see this as a, in terms of interpersonal relationship or social relationship. So symbolic set of friendship, friendship or close relationship, or in case of, as I mentioned, the uh, visit of UK Prime Minister, so-called spatial relationship between the United States and United Kingdom. This is kinds of social relationship. And states have, might have, and they have some, these kinds of social relationship between them. Uh, let's say US and Iran now. So, of course, this is a one type of uh, social relationship. Or US and, let's say, Israel. This is another type of social relationship. So different kinds of relationship. And there are many kinds of symbolic expression of this relationship. Uh, for example, speech to parliament. I don't remember, well, I, I remember, for example, UK representative speeches at the uh, US Congress or Israel prime ministers. So it's uh, perhaps not many uh, foreign dignitaries had an opportunity speech to speak at the US Congress. So it's a part of very special relationship. So it's part of symbolism of these kinds of relationship. Well, this is, doesn't work also. And uh, this is some other uh, sim uh, images related to this kinds of interpersonal relationship between states. I just took a few days ago this uh, picture in Washington. This is a symbol of uh, friendship between the Netherlands and the US. This is a nice picture. And interestingly, you know, I, I had a problem. I, 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 I couldn't find much uh, symbols related to interest of the state. You know, on the one hand, we uh, think that the interest, national interest, political interest, economic interest are a very important part of the whole foreign policy, making foreign policy, diplomacy. But on the other hand, uh, it's very difficult to see clear expression of symbolism related to interest. And it's a very interesting phenomenon, it seems to me, because in value you could see so much more demonstration of value. But perhaps uh, interests are more veiled, more hidden in terms of uh, relation to symbolism. And uh, finally, affective function of symbolism. Affective, I mean, this is uh, very much related to uh, feelings, to emotions, to motivation. So very difficult to think about any kinds of patriotic feelings without this kinds of uh, symbolism, emotional symbolism, right? So uh, symbols and rituals, uh, ceremonies, they have emotional component, especially rituals, especially, especially uh, ceremonies. Uh, they have they are rising emotions. They are part of very much uh, this emotional interaction between countries, between uh, peoples. And, as, as, I, and as, as I mentioned earlier, this uh, solemn entry, it's also when you have these kinds of ceremony, it's, uh, it creates some kinds of new emotional atmosphere. It's not just technical interaction, but it's whole new kinds of emotional interaction between the states or between the representatives of states. 
So uh, we, uh, when we think about uh, making foreign policy or diplomatic practice, you know, there is now a rising, uh, sub rising field, emotions and politics. But uh, usually in traditional stuff, in traditional um, textbooks or writings, you could find very, very little on this. Usually we used to think about international politics as a very rationalistic uh, subject field. But in fact, uh, feelings, in fact, emotions are very much part of this, the whole international environment. And uh, even in these kinds of very important events, the signing ceremonies, this whole uh, emotional environment is very important part. Uh, symbolism are very much related to uh, sentiments. They create sentiments. Na sentiments between nations, sentiments between um, countries are very important. And diplomatic agents, agents, diplomats who work in this environment, they have to develop some kinds of professional feelings related to this field. It's not just always sort of calculative approach. So I am thinking about the interest, uh, about my interest, and I am trying to calculate all the things, uh, sort of rational actor model of behavior. But sometimes for these people who are uh, traditionally operating in this field, international diplomatic field, like uh, diplomats, statements, or other people, they have to develop and they, they develop some sense, some feeling, very small symbols, very small signs of something already gives them some sense of this reality. And this is a part of professional development, professional, professional, professionalism of uh, these people. So I'd like to say that uh, we have to also very much consider this part of uh, international politics, especially when we think about the self of the state, because uh, these people, diplomats, or people who are related to state, for example, presidents, they present the state. They present somehow the self of the state. They are part of the self of the state. And the, all this uh, diplomacy of self is very much related to these feelings, this emotional aspect of this, the whole environment. And symbolism, diplomatic uh, ne uh, negotiation also very much related to symbolism. And uh, through symbols, through symbolic expression, through dele large delegations, sitting arrangement, all these things are part of uh, influencing the other part. And you may, maybe you've heard about the famous case in 1968, Vietnam negotiation. So uh, it was delayed for 10 weeks because uh, America and the Vietnamese side, they couldn't uh, make an agreement on uh, table shape, what kinds of table should be. And it's on the one hand, it's a funny thing. Well, it's a, wow, what's a, a substance? But on the other hand, it has a political meaning. It, has a, it presents some reality, and it's a very important for countries to have some kinds of real um, symbolic expression of their feelings and their intention, etc., etc. Culture, also a cultural, uh, uh, there is a cultural aspect of symbolism and there is a diplomatic symbolism. Diplomatic culture, it's uh, already uh, one culture. It's already itself is a culture. But it, it's, there is also um, traditional national culture. And somehow 
they are not always matching, or traditional culture are impacting diplomatic culture. Uh, cultural aspect of symbolism. Somehow, some people who represent this one culture, especially high-context culture or low-context culture, they have quite a, uh, in both cultures, uh, symbolism very important. But in high-context culture, where, where contexts are so important, symbolism related to dignity, to self, to identity, to respect all these kinds of stuff are much more important. And that's why there are some studies of diplomatic behavior when uh, people from low context culture like United States or Western Europe and people diplomats from high context culture like China, India, Japan, etc., etc., they have some problems with understanding with each other because of different understanding uh, of symbolism related to this kinds of um, communication, setting up interstate uh, setup. And institutional code and cultural code also very in interesting for me because, you know, uh, sometimes, especially when we are thinking about regionalism, usually we think through institutional development. For example, European Union, what is European Union? European Union, first of all, institution. Institutional development is very important. But somehow, in some places, like, for example, Central Asia now, uh, we don't have in Central Asia much these kinds of European Union kinds of interstate organization, institutional development. In these kinds of, when you have a lack of institutional environment, the cultural codes, cultural elements of um, interaction are becoming very important and states are interacting with each other through symbolism. It's a not direct but uh, symbolic kinds of interactions and symbolic or indirect kinds of communication and negotiation. And in many re regions you could f see these kinds of very highly um, cultural, cultural based interaction be between countries but not institutional but culturally. So it's an uh, interesting for me phenomenon. And uh, finally uh, some, let's say, some uh, limitations or drawbacks of symbolism. Of course, symbolism is very important. It's a part of diplomatic practice, and it's a very meaningful instrument to make states uh, sensible, to feel the state, to understand the state behavior. But at the same time, when we have excessive symbolism, when we have too much involved in symbolical uh, kinds of interactions, so it's uh, tend to be uh, diplomatic, uh, this symbolism start to support so-called sacralizations of state. States become sort of sacral object, highest being, right? Uh, sacred ceremonies, so objects like uh, places like embassies or some very special places, like right? So individuals who present these uh, kinds of sacred objects, uh, holy objects, and cult somehow might happen, and glorification of state. It's okay when um, it has a meaningful some application, but uh, when uh, it turns against individuals, it's uh, already not very good. So uh, 
if I may use this word statism. So symbolism is very much support sort, sort of statism. And uh, when we have too much symbolism, very much heavily relate on symbolism, it's become possible to manipulate through symbols. So uh, through symbols, through use of symbolism or symbolic practice interactions to make a point, to manipulation kinds of uh, interactions might happen. And in this case, uh, it might happen some kinds of gap between diplomatic world and so-called uh, non-diplomatic world. And risk with preoccupation with symbolism. And sometimes occasional engagement with uh, in insignificant uh, activities. A symbolism without substance also might happen. Symbolism for the sake of symbolism. So of course, this is another extreme, but uh, usually, it, not always you could see, but is, there is a risk of these kinds of aspect of uh, using symbolism. So uh, uh, shortly, if I stay, if I may say, so uh, state symbols, whole diplomatic symbolism, somehow could delineate, delineate diplomatic behavior, but to certain extent, because there is a reality. When symbolism and reality not very much match with each other, it uh, creates some conflicts. Uh, interconnectedness, interrelations, and mutual restraints of real and symbolic world. So symbolism is very important uh, aspect of interstate relations. It's a very important, very meaningful instrument of diplomatic practice, but at the same time, there is a, some a risk of uh, using this or misusing this kinds of activity uh, in interstate relations in diplomatic practice. So the point is when uh, we train or when we study international relations or more concretely diplomatic practice, uh, we have to pay attention to this. We have to learn how to use this more effectively. We have to learn how to read symbolism. We have to learn how to use symbolism, especially now in this with social media, with these new kinds of technologies. This is because very powerful instrument. And also we have to prevent uh, from using or misusing or manipulation of symbolism in uh, diplomatic practice. That's, that's, that's Thank you very much. Sorry? Yeah. Would be very happy. Yes, please. Uh, at the beginning of your talk, of your presentation, yes. you mentioned that in Washington, D.C., you saw American Vulcan and the soldier. That's right. Uh, probably from the Iraq or Afghanistan. No, no, no. It's not, it was not Iraq. Or Iraq. So it could be from. I have seen because I come and see it in the airport. I yes. saw the same thing when I was coming from Los Angeles. Yes. Uh, currently, I'm doing a research on. Soviet problems in Afghanistan and American problems, similarities and dissimilarities. One of the dissimilarities that I found that when Russian or Uzbek Turkmen, Tajik, Kazakhs, just soldiers were returning, they were, this was one of the very unpopular war as the war without heroes. In your name, both of us are young enough or old enough to remember, uh, I'm certain, before the independence of yeah. Afghanistan. You have seen some of those in their bodies return, uh, the soldiers return. Yes. Can you find any difference here? Now I want to learn from you. Yes. The, the, the 
Well, yeah. Well, that's a good. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. Thank you very much. You know, first of all, what we have seen a few hours ago, it was, I believe, part of welcoming the whole month during one month uh, uh, in Washington D.C. They're welcoming Second World War veterans from all America. So. There were several so-called honor flights arriving. So a lot of very old people, elderly people, some of them are very, uh, perhaps very ill, very, some uh, kinds of very old people. And there are a lot of people who just welcomed them. Uh, it was a um, lot of young people, old people, song, uh, singing, Black waving, all the thing. It, it was a very moving uh, picture, uh, all this environment, because it's, uh, it's very nice when you welcome old uh, soldiers, old uh, generation. As far as uh, returning from Afghanistan, I believe uh, each country had some painful experience. Perhaps a more or less similar experience we had uh, and in the United States after Vietnam War. So attitudes to those people who served, so perhaps uh, uh, after Afghan War was not always relevant and the same thing has happened after the Vietnam War. But uh, the countries, I believe, both the United States and other countries are learning. So it's a very important part, not just to have some kinds of to, to, to to provide some well-being, but uh, to welcome, to give some ceremony, ceremonial kinds of symbolic welcoming, also a very important part. It's, a, it's emotional. So people need some kinds of, this kinds of emotion, especially when we live in very industrial world, when we have not very much these kinds of united uh, interactions, ceremonial interactions, people very much need some somehow. So, and the welcoming heroes, welcoming elderly people, welcoming students, welcoming just freshmen, uh, first year students, welcoming professors, all these things are when they have become a part of the whole, our social life. I believe uh, if you use this in meaningful way, not excessive, as I said, uh, meaningful way. It's a very nice, I believe. It's a it's a social experience. It's a very human experience. Yes. And when you entered diplomatic service, you were doing so in a new country. And yes. I was wondering if you had any firsthand experience in decisions about how to choose what would be the principal cultural symbols to represent Uzbekistan. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting question. You know, I mentioned uh, identity-related activities, set up identities. This is uh, the case for every country, but especially for countries like Uzbekistan, newly independent countries. So identity creation, it's a very, very essential part. And I was quite uh, uh, struck uh, when I saw, I was very moved sometime when I, when I saw some people who were just some Uzbeks 
for example, in London or in Brussels. They just came to our embassy, uh, took their photos uh, next to the flag, and they've been so emotionally moved because of this uh, symbolism. So uh, for countries like Uzbekistan or other newly independent countries, this is a very important part of creation, the whole statehood. So identity creation and symbolism is a very powerful, important part of all these things. And as a diplomat, you are becoming part of this because you are representing a lot of people, uh, especially when I was a part of my, uh, when, I, when I was myself as a diplomat, uh, just after independence, uh, very few people knew in Western Europe about Uzbekistan. First thing uh, they heard about Uzbekistan, or you have seen somehow Uzbekistan through me, or through my activities, or through our staff, or through our embassy. So you're really experiencing sort of being as a symbol of a country. So it's a, it's a very uh, powerful part of the whole creation of uh, nationhood. And especially if you analyze not just development of country itself, but interstate relationship, for example, in Central Asia. So it's very difficult to, to explain everything what's going on uh, by the means of traditional some theories like um, like uh, political realism or some other international theories because a lot of things again related to identity creation identity negotiation identity setup for example uh, I've read uh, recently Tajikistan has raised uh, put the highest flagpole in the world. So this is a perhaps part of this identity creation. And Turkmenistan has raised uh, the, the largest flag in the world. This is a, so on, on the one hand, it might be, well, it's a funny. But on the other hand, this is a part of all this creation of a making point. This, as I mentioned, not just institutionally, making, influencing, interacting, but through some kinds of cultural means through all the things. It's a very important part of both interstate relations and uh, the whole state creation. Yes, please. Yes, uh, Tim Lucas, thank you for, yes. the, for the talk. I thought it was very interesting. I have uh, three actually, and I'll have to Yes. Symbolism for the sake of symbolism. Right. But where will we draw the line? Because earlier you mentioned that the level of sort of symbolic practices depends on high versus low context politics. Right. So do the, let's say, China and Japan do 
<laughs> that's a good question. Or where would we draw the line then? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, all questions are excellent. First of all, about law. You know, it's a very interesting point. On the one hand, law is very, how to say, very instrumental, very strictly there is a, um, elements of law and uh, language of law and it's a, it's a structure of also part of international structure. So culture is a structure also part. Law is a structure or international institution are structure. Or symbolism also structures. There are many kinds of structures of interstate relations. Law is one of the structures of this interstate relation, uh, also part of diplomatic practice. But interestingly, law itsel itself becomes a symbol, part of symbolism. So uh, sometimes law uh, makes a difference not because of countries are following this law, but because they sign this law. Law is a part of symbolism of uh, international relations between two countries. And interestingly also, sometimes countries could prepare some law or some agreement, let's say. But they are awaiting uh, signing because they would like to attach this signing ceremony to some big uh, visible visits. So, in fact, if you would consider law as just as a law, as a structure would set up some kinds of uh, behavioral uh, rule, so what they have to follow countries, that's one very technical understanding. But on the other hand, when you see the law as a also symbol and symbolic signing of the law is becoming signing, uh, introducing a law become part of the whole state symbolism. So you, you might think that it's a, in fact, it's a much more complicated relationship between the whole symbolism, structuralism, and the instrumentalism of law in international relations. As far as a line between, um, how to say, fair use or um, positive use of symbolism and uh, sort of some limitations of symbolism or excessive or negative use of symbolism, if I may use this word, it's very difficult to distinguish and to set up some clear line because of many reasons. Number one, uh, as I said, first of all, symbolism, as I mentioned, has a multiplicity of meaning, so ambiguity of meaning. So as you might understand, for example, this picture, I took this picture myself. It was a, during my, uh, before my presenting my credentials to uh, the Belgium king. So it, part, it was part of ceremonial, all this uh, stuff. So you might see in a way when I could, couldn't see or the vice versa. So it's a, it's a partly very intersubjective, both subjective and intersubjective. When we use symbolism, uh, symbolism is a very important part of symbolism. Is they, uh, it's designed to create uh, mutual some uh, meaning, joint shared meaning. But in fact, it doesn't create always. Somehow it creates 
vice versa, divided meaning, not just uh, united meaning or shared meaning. So somehow uh, countries or their representatives use symbolism which they would think, they would, they know beforehand even that they would create some problems in our relationship. Countries not always interested in having good relationship, not always interested in uh, entering into negotiation process. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. That's why symbolism uh, could be used in many ways. The other side, you mentioned your, yourself rightly, there is a cultural differences in understanding of symbolism. So for example, uh, for diplomats from these high context cultures, they usually, they always very much want from diplomats from, let's say, uh, low context country, countries, American diplomats, Western European diplomats, to pay more attention to these kinds of so cul uh, contextual symbols, which uh, would underline some interpersonal relationship, dignities, all the things. But for these uh, guys, they say, well, why have to we spend so much time for that? Let's let's get to the, to the deal. Oh, let's do some business. So there are some cultural also differences. That's why it's very difficult. But it's uh, nevertheless, it's I, I believe there is a common sense. So uh, as I said, uh, symbolism is a very useful, very uh, positive instrument when you use meaningfully. But when you start to use this just as a symbolism for the sake of symbolism, we create, let's create, let's say, let's create joint commission. So to make us impressions that we are working very hard in order to do some, to change our state relations, all the things. But in fact, not all these joint commissions or these kinds of uh, structures are always working. But it's very hard to change this. Uh, yes, please. Yeah. But it also seems like it's an emphasized vulnerability. State actors are always being watched now. So how does that affect how state actors interact with one another? Yeah. Do they change their behavior? Yeah. When they know they're always being watched? You know, that's a very, very interesting question. I would be uh, very much recommend uh, students to to do some research on this topic, just to to do some research of all the social media using social media by diplomats, by individual ambassadors. This is a very new subject, very fantastic uh, area of study. And uh, interestingly, I just, uh, I was told, I, I, I don't know, is it in fact, is it a fact or not? But in using social media, diplomats now, on the one hand, they use quite widely, as you know. But on the other hand, there are still a lot of limitations. To compare with this, even some military people, soldiers, could use much more freely now social media in several, in many countries than diplomats. Interestingly, why? Because uh, when diplomats are saying something, expressing some words or putting some pictures on their sites, it's already because of this symbolism of uh, such a heavily symbolism of diplomacy, uh, it could be interpreted as a, as a something related to the state. Ah, uh, so US 
diplomat said this, or Uzbek diplomat said this, or uh, British diplomat expressed this, then we have to think, oh, this is the intention of state. So they, that's why, on the one hand, they are using, but on the other hand, still, and I would, I would think that it would be always some limitation to use. Because, again, the, because of the essence of diplomatic representation, essence of state. While, uh, for example, soldier also, of course, soldier is also part of state, but uh, he's a soldier. He's just, uh, he's not representing, officially representing state. It's, more, it's okay if he say or she something in social media which would not very much relate to this policy of state. So, uh, if you would do some research, it's interesting to see how much all, all the things what they are saying in their Twitter or uh, tweeting or in their Facebook, how much all the things are related to state policy, how much they are much more free to say something. Or they have opportunity now to say something quite freely, but nevertheless defending or promoting all this uh, set up, already set up some policy line. So in this respect, of course, I think using social media itself already part of symbolism. Because if you would analyze not diplomas from every country now use, using social media in, in your communication as diplomat, it's already symbolizing something related to state. Usually diplomats uh, from countries where much more open in, uh, in, in, uh, open inf information policy, they use usually. So when states very much control information policy and uh, much more limitation uh, related to information, receiving information or uh, spreading information, there is much less use of internet or social media in diplomatic practice. So it's a wonderful subject to, to study, uh, to, to learn. I don't know any uh, studies related to this subject, but it's a wonderful subject. Thank you. Yes, please. Um, I have two questions. First, um, do you think that uh, creating a certain affective or emotional atmosphere actually affects what states or state representatives will give up or not give up in a bargaining situation? Yeah. Um, and if so, can you give, can you give an example? Yeah. And then secondly, I was wondering about, um, maybe this is related to the international law question, about whether or not more negotiations are happening in international organizations versus, say, you know, in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs or in bilateral ambassadorial meetings. And I ask that because it strikes me that, well, probably bilateral ambassadorial meetings or the kind of meetings like they're having um, with Iran right now, they seem more formal, more highly ritualistic, more, sim more symbolic, and I, I was sort of Intuitively, it seems like IOs would be sort of less formal, mm -hmm. more bureaucratic, perhaps I see. less meaningful environments. So, I see. Um, are more interactions happening in IOs, and if so, what yes. kind of effect do you think yeah. that has on the outcome? Oh, wonderful question. You know, uh, first uh, about affecting, I would say yes and no, because on the one hand, when you use again symbolism, all this visual or other type of symbols or um, rituals, all those things, meaningfully, when they match with reality, this has a real some effect on feelings. It's a part of 
the whole international environment becomes. But sometimes uh, I wouldn't say that it's always the case because there are quite often some formalism, formalistic use, because this is a part of this practice protocol, so let's go through this. Uh, this kind of using is not very much affecting the whole diplomatic actors. So uh, it could be this way or this way. But again, it, when uh, properly used, it is a part of the whole creation of new atmosphere. But uh, when you're approaching to this kind of thing as a part of formalism, so it's just, well, uh, sort of manipulative kinds of things. And uh, second uh, on international organizations. Th this is a very inter interesting question. You know, a lot of international organizations, they are trying to, um, to be more practical, more pragmatical, to avoid this kinds of excessive symbolism, so, which is uh, quite still presented in bilateral diplomacy. But uh, they couldn't avoid totally, even when they wish. Because, again, this is related to the nature of state and nature of representatives. Even in UN, so when head of states are arriving to General Assembly, uh, there are some rituals, like uh, Secretary General usually welcomes. There is a photo sessions, uh, family photo, all the things, welcoming ceremonies, all the things. It's a part of all this environment. And it's very difficult to avoid, to uh, eliminate this whole fully. Though international organizations are trying to do so. So they are trying to be more um, operative, more less less ritualistic. But again, there is a limitation for that. As far as uh, negotiations, well, uh, you know, uh, some uh, scholars uh, tend to think now that real negotiations now where diplomats are involved are happening in international organizations. In bilateral settings, uh, it's much less extent because uh, diplomats, let's say ambassadors of A country to B country, uh, used to be in, uh, in the past, he was a single just a person who presented, was uh, the, the person who made a case. So deliberate message to both sides. It was a sort of uh, mediate, very important point of mediation between countries. But now ministers could speak, president could speak, uh, ambassadors, others, they're meeting everywhere. So, uh, and uh, the character of diplomatic work in bilateral diplomacy very much have changed. Some, somehow, for example, if uh, you would think about American ambassador in London or Uzbek ambassador in London, when they uh, get uh, to the business, they start the everyday activity, so get up and go to the office, in the capitals, they already know what's happening there because of all this media, internet. So uh, their task now is quite different. So it's uh, not just uh, sending information, not just uh, informing, but analyzing, but making the case, 
being a part of the whole uh, economic diplomacy, all these kinds of things. So that's why real negotiations, negotiational um, workload of ambassadors in bilateral diplomacy is much less now. But in international organizations, still there are a lot of uh, negotiations. But uh, again, there is a uh, different cultures. For example, for some countries, when they, you got your mandate to negotiate, you are negotiating and you are making decisions there. But some countries, the diplomats, the representatives in international organizations, even when they negotiate, they are not able to make decisions there. They have to go back to the capital and ask permission, all those things. So there are different cases. There are different examples of uh, negotiations, uh, uh, power, impact, all those things. Yeah. Thank you. Anything else? Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.